It is the last week of March as we head into April, and welcome to Me and My Team and the News. I'm Tim. I'm Ben. And you can smell the cut grass and see the baseballs flying soon. Opening day is just a couple of days away as we enter this week, and we'll see lots of springtime and baseball and ships getting out of the way. Yeah. So, in case you didn't know, last week a ship called the Ever Given, I believe, got stuck in the Suez Canal. Uh, how big is that ship at, anyway? Big. Big? Yeah, like, really big. <laughs> I mean, it's big enough to block a canal on its own. I have seen, uh, I was just looking at some comparisons to kind of give a sense of scope. So you see it next to, like excavators and tugboats you're like wow it's really big i just looked at it and compared it to some baseball stadiums and football stadiums and it's like three times the size of a baseball stadium a major league one it's big enough that it would cross the mississippi at several points which seems you know big before this ship uh, incident uh ben did you have any idea how wide the suez canal was uh i still don't know how wide it is did you think it was it was narrow enough that a ship could get stuck? Uh, no. I thought it'd be wider than that. This was actually uh, one of the ways that the British controlled passage through the Suez Canal, you know, 70 or 80 years ago, um, with and kept their control over how a lot of Egyptian politics worked. And that only British pilots, boat pilots, ship captains, I should say, were trained in being able to navigate the Suez Canal. And part of the deal that they wanted, Egypt did, was to be able to have their own people learn how to handle large ships in the Suez Canal. By not allowing that, Britain was maintaining its control of the canal in the same way, uh, in the same era of time, the British Petroleum Company was controlling oil flow from Iran by not allowing Iranians, native Iranians, to learn the engineering needed to run the equipment in the oil fields. So there you go. There's today's history lesson on that, but it shows how difficult it actually is to navigate the Suez Canal. Uh, it's been kind of a fascinating thing to watch all week. Have you seen much of the coverage? Uh, I mean, I've seen pictures of it, just this huge ship that, you know, it just kind of turns sideways, and you kind of wonder, how do you get stuck like that? I mean, someone trusted you with one of the world's largest cargo ships, and you managed to get it stuck. I mean, you are losing your job for that. You would think so. Did you read any, like, uh, official engineers' accounts or anything that kind of said the science behind how it got stuck or why it stuck or how to get it out? Not really. News was kind of like, big ship stuck. Yep, that's pretty much what it said. And it would delay shipping, and the alternate route would be to go around Africa, which is kind of a long Bad way. idea. Well, it just <laughs> adds a little bit of travel time to take a detour like that. So the ship is being freed as we record this podcast, which is all very exciting news, and thank goodness there's no entries, that sort of thing. But you've also been exploring some other ways of looking at news this week, Ben. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, 
I think, you know, with mainstream media now, I think it's really hard in this day and age to find truly unbiased reporting. And I think there are a lot of smaller media outlets on the internet that can do a good job of that. Yeah, tell like, me more. I don't know really how to put it. It's just... I feel like it's kind of weird that some random site on the internet I now find more trustworthy than some big news corporation that's been around for 30 years. And what what are the criteria you're using? Like, what is the reasoning, do you think, behind that? What do you even know what makes you feel like you trust it more? Well, it's mostly just being unbiased. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you have to look for certain things. Like, instead of saying... That politician's account is not true, you say. At this time, we could not verify that politician's account. You know, using less loaded, sensationalist headlines. Mm -hmm. And also giving both sides of the issue. That's very important. Yeah. It sounds like, too, maybe being able to say, hey, there are things we don't know. We don't have to be the experts who know everything. We'll be honest with you when we don't know. Yeah, like, I'd rather take and, well, I don't know really about this issue, but we're trying our best to decipher it right now, versus the current working theory is something that's completely wrong. Uh, I can see that. Uh, so how, did you, how do you find these news sites? What do you just walk out in the street and hold up a sign that says, tell me about news sites? No, I look on the internet like a normal human being. <laughs> what do you do? You go to Google, you start searching for news, or what? Yeah, mostly that. And I mean, there's a lot of trusted sites on the internet that'll actually rate um, how biased news sites are. Oh, really? It's called, like, MediaBiasFactCheck.com or something. Yep, I'm familiar with their work. And they, they do a good job analyzing, particularly around the polling of people, by saying, hey, do you think they're liberal or they're conservative? Or do you think they're biased yeah. towards this or that? It's kind of cool to look at. I mean, apparently the least biased news in the U.S. is PBS News, which, yeah, I can see that. So, uh, when you see these news outlets, though, and you go and you find ones, maybe ones you've never heard of, but you're finding them on the internet and whatnot, doesn't it bother you if what they're saying doesn't line up with what you inherently think would be right? Eh, sometimes, but, like, the thing about it, the good thing about it being on the internet is that anyone can really reply to it. So, you know, there's generally a comment section for this. And you can tell if a story is biased or not by how much anger is in the comments section. Because if, like, everyone in the comments says, hey, this is not true, then there's a good chance that it's probably not true. Hmm. You know, there might have been a time when I would have agreed with you. But I have lived through the other side where organized comment campaigns became a normal thing. Have you ever heard of this? organized comment campaigns. Yes, yeah, so lots of news, almost all news websites used to have comments and all the stories. And what began to happen, in some cases on Reddit or other organizing forums, people who took issue with something would organize lots and lots of people, hundreds of people to go comment on a website to tell them how awful it was. 
and try to drive down the rating and to make their staff take a whole bunch of time replying to people. This would happen around things like I, we had once had an issue where there was an interview with somebody in our media organization um, who was opposed to uh, gun ownership, essentially. And it was just um, one of those stories that had five or six different interviews in it. And one person in it didn't want anybody to own guns. And one national gun organization, not the NRA, it was a different one, uh, decided that that wasn't cool. So they uh, bombarded our website with comments and our Facebook page with comments um, and called our newsroom over and over again in a coordinated campaign to harass us basically because of it. Now that was a bit over the top, but there actually was a time when Reddit groups would regularly organize, uh, I wouldn't call it comment changing or comment trolling perhaps, that would make it hard to know what was honest and what wasn't. Now, on some of these sites, it's it's probably you're not seeing that as much as you would see it now on Facebook. But well, yeah, going back to like your interview thing, a lot of news outlets now put before interviews the like the views of this person do not represent the channel. Blah 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 blah. Basically, which is like this guy's opinions are his own crap. Please no hurt us. <laughs> I've seen that on news stories, but when they do opinion segments, that's that's generally the thing that they will do. And, I mean, with the comment trolling, as you call it, I think now it's a lot easier to tell. Like, it's pretty easy if you go on a website and you look at, like, comments or reviews. Because nowadays, people don't have to get, like, other people to comment. They can just use bots. That's you know, true. And spam accounts will normally have a pretty regular pattern. Some generic name like Kathy B. You know, something that no one would ever have their username as. Right. And then it'll, you know, generic text, everything spelled correctly. There's capitalization and punctuation. Nobody does that. <laughs> First of all, who gives their real name on the internet? Second of all, who takes time to, like, capitalize things? Mm, true. And use punctuation and everything. And uh, that, you know, I do get suspicious sometimes reading the Amazon comments. that Are these really accurate reviews, you know, that go there? But anyway, but you have found it when you've been looking for sites to trust that it, that it actually can be an indicator of, okay, there's something trustworthy here. Yeah, and I mean, if I'm ever kind of in doubt, I can always just go to that Media Bias Fact Check website. I mean, it has like thousands of like online papers and every every pretty much every news site on the internet that has some amount of reputation mm -hmm. or amount of followers is fact-checked by them. All right. That, that is a fantastic tip for all of our listeners out there. You know, I mentioned Reddit a little earlier today. You were telling me about something you discovered on Reddit. Yeah, so there was this thread. It was titled, Left-wingers, what is your most right-wing opinion? And right-wingers, what is your most left-wing opinion? And it was really shocking because everyone was like, civil and <laughs> you know they weren't at each other's throats because people would be posting you know political opinions and people would be like i agree they'd either be like i agree or i respectfully disagree here is my view you know which we don't really see in politics anymore it's mostly just your side's wrong yeah that sounds very encouraging it sounds like a really enlightening awesome thread to read 
Yeah, I think it's closed to comments now, though. <laughs> Probably because people who didn't want to be nice and respectful figured out it was going on. Well, what were the kinds of things that they were uh, mentioning on that? Well, I think things that both sides could agree on. Uh, trust science. Mm. Um, definitely, you know, don't be racist. Well, that's that's good, yeah. Climate change actually exists. You know, just standard stuff like that. But having people talk about it from those perspectives and then say, oh yeah, these are my, I guess, most right or most left views. That's an interesting approach. You know, it was just like common sense stuff that like makes sense to everyone. And people would have different reasons for agreeing. Like this one person who was opposed to the death penalty, not from a philosophical standpoint, but from the standpoint that it's used harshly against minority groups and innocent people. Well, uh, that sounds like a good forum for having honest, real, civil, political discourse. And the thing is, that's kind of absent. I mean, a few weeks ago, the World Democracy Index came out with this 2020 edition, and uh, the U.S. now counts as a flawed democracy. Not because our electoral process is corrupt or anything, it's actually one of the best. It's mostly because it judges based off the criteria of political discourse and, you know, political polarization. And uh, the U.S. did not do very well there because we're uber-polarized. Well, that's for sure. Even at the local level, in many cases, it's uh, no longer seems to be the case that it's, let's all get together and do our best to what's best for the country. It's, what's best for me and my party? Yeah, and that's think... too bad. But we have to look at things that are hopeful, like this Reddit thread. I mean, you know, we all sometimes yeah. need to turn to Reddit for help. <laughs> well, another thing they all agreed on was that the two-party system inherently like incites discourse i mean when there are only two teams playing you feel compelled to pick a side mm -hmm. and then it's that side versus the other side there's a very clear enemy and a multiple party system it's like eh, that political ideology i kind of don't agree with but i can't you know specifically pinpoint an enemy you know with only two parties it's easier to blame the other guy right. versus when there are a lot of people and I think with corporations and money in politics, it's a lot easier to control one or two parties than it is to control, like, four. Ah, that is a... You know, that's a very interesting way of looking at it, too. Um, that's been true within the media, in that the fewer media outlets there were, if you go back 20 years ago, it was easier to control from a corporation or government perspective you know, uh, way, way back in the day, you know, if you go to the 19th century, 1880s, and you'll find every city had 20 or 30 or 40 newspapers. By the 20s, that whittled to like three or four typically. And when we got to, you know, the 50s and 1980s, you know, you were down to any city might have one or two newspapers, three or four TV stations that were doing some news and a radio station or two that were doing news. And that was it. And they were largely owned by, by some big companies. Uh, so if you had something like, say, the president had polio and you didn't want anybody to show it, you only had to convince four networks not to show it. And boom, 
they didn't get shown. Uh, nowadays, as we've had the explosion of all these news sites, you can't control the media in the same way. And at the same time, the media has to, with all these different sites, everybody's got to find a way to stake their claim by taking sides and no longer being in the middle and figuring out how to go forward. So that's really a fascinating uh, take on how media has changed and how control of the media has changed. So. And speaking of government controlling things, it's Myanmar time again. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. What have you seen about Myanmar? Well, apparently on Friday, so Friday was Myanmar's Armed Forces Day, where the country t- typically celebrates its military. Okay. Unfortunately for the military right now, people don't really approve of them. Right. And so a lot of people protested and the military was like, hey, this is our holiday. You guys get shot now. And so independent sites estimate that there were between 107 and 104 casualties, including children. That's terrible. Yeah. And the thing is, the Myanmar people aren't going to stop. I mean, the military party's deeply unpopular. I mean, they have Something like, to do with killing thousands of people. Yeah, probably. I mean, they have less than 20% support. Yet they're in charge. Yet they're in charge. That's, which is an issue. This is very dangerous. And creating a large number of refugees in neighboring countries. And... The military, in an effort to stop people from organizing protests, have uh, blocked the internet, which people aren't very happy about. Thing is, it seems like the military's trying to make people as mad as possible and hoping that'll stop the protests. It's like, okay, we took away your internet and we shot children. Are you guys happy now? Will you stop protesting? Wait, this makes people protest more? Oh, no. It's like the wrong way to handle a situation. To say the least, and things spiral from there. What do you think of, how do we know about this though? Right? Like, so, you know, when you have a oppressive regime coming in power as we have in Myanmar and shutting down the internet and killing people, uh, they're not exactly letting newspapers print things. Um, how do you think that information, do you have any sense of how that information is getting out to the rest of the world? I think right now there are two big independent websites that are operating probably with a VPN because they still have internet. Mm -hmm. And those are the two that we're getting information from. I mean, we're, you know, Myanmar hasn't completely like gone full North Korea and closed itself off. Like people can still go there. And so it's not even when they shut down the internet, they only shut down the internet for Myanmar citizens. So a journalist from the U.S. can go in there and see what's going on. Uh, That doesn't sound safe. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that if I was a journalist, I think that would make me a target, right? Yeah, but the military junta right now is uh, walking on eggshells, to say the very least. They're deeply unpopular. And countries generally don't like it when you kill their journalists. Well, that hasn't stopped a lot of countries from doing it. So let me go back a week or so ago. You recall the trial of the uh, U.S. journalist who was arrested covering the George Floyd protests? Uh, No. No, you didn't see that. She was cleared of all charges. Um, 
you know, and it was terrible that she was arrested in the first place. And, Why was she arrested? Uh, well, good question. Um, there were a number of arrests at this protest. She had identified herself as being a member of the media. Apparently, that did not make the police officers who were arresting her any happier or the prosecutor feel like there was no reason to prosecute her. Of course, she was quickly acquitted. But then there was a lot of talk about it in the media circles, right? You know, but hey, this is really unfair. We can't believe this. Thank goodness our journalists are brave enough to go out into these protests and do things, which is true in the United States. But we often forget about what kind of bravery it takes to go into the middle of protests in countries where the military is openly killing citizens and try to get that information out. That is, takes another kind of level of journalism bravery, I think. Yeah, and the journalists, especially the Myanmar citizens who are still working on the front lines to protest and mm -hmm. to try to document everything, they're clearly very brave. And, you know, with other journalists, I just don't think the military, how do you pronounce it, junta? Junta, usually. Junta. Well, I don't think they'll openly start killing journalists because the U.S. and Myanmar are not very happy right now. If there's one thing I've ever learned from world history, it's that you do not mess with the U.S. Uh, it's not stopping China or Russia from being really angry at the U.S. right now. Okay, you do not mess with the U.S. when they're stronger than you. <laughs> well, like, Myanmar's not exactly the world's most powerful and influential country. Like, countries like Saudi Arabia and China and Russia can unfortunately get away with this stuff because no one can stop them. Well, do you really see geographically where Myanmar is? What, like a, a U.S. military intervention? Well, I don't think... It'll be that, but the U.S. definitely will take steps because, you know, Myanmar's right next to China, and I think China's like, wait, they overthrew their democracy, time to become a puppet state of us. Well, and it's not like China's going to, you know, China has its own challenges and being criticized for how they're treating the Uyghur Muslim population. They seem unlikely to spend a lot of time worrying about the Rihanga population in Myanmar uh, and take that as to be something they need to put pressure on Myanmar for. And I don't see any way the U.S. is again going to do any military interaction that close to China, uh, which, you know, hasn't gone well in the past 50 years. Yeah. So yeah. what do we do? Well, I think, first of all, economic sanction time, but you... With economic sanctions, you don't want to punish the people of Myanmar, yet you don't want to let the junta go off scot-free. So it's hard. I think every country in the world, or at least all the ones that are willing to, should immediately stop selling weapons and end all like defense contracts and stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, with Myanmar, it's... A precarious situation because just for some context Myanmar has for most of its history been ruled by a military junta I mean ever since they won their independence and you know the military has always taken steps even when they started allowing for democracy to make sure that 
they could always be back in power again if they ever wanted to. I mean, the military has a lot. Like, some people think that Aung San Suu Kyi's government was just a puppet of the military. So, you know, it's kind of hard because the military maybe has just stopped putting on this facade or this mask of democracy. I don't think they've really ever given up power fully. Right. And it's really hard to uh, drive a military dictatorship out of power, mostly because they're the military. Yeah, and there's no other established political infrastructure without them, right? Yeah, I mean, they've detained Aung San Suu Kyi's government, basically. I mean, there are still a few that they didn't get to who are leading the protests, but they know... The Myanmar people know that the junta's already using force for no reason, so if the protesters actually decide to fight back, then the military's just going to see that as another justification of force. But it's, again, it's a really complicated issue in Myanmar, and I don't know what the solution is. I mean, you know, the United Nations sent a very angry letter to Myanmar, but, I mean... There are, like, two options. Yell at them and please... There's basically the yell at them, tell them, please stop. Or the, okay, invasion time, and no one wants invasion time. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with most totalitarian governments, they don't really care what the rest of the world thinks about them. Yeah, you can hit them in their pocketbook a little bit by sanctions on top leaders, but if they have all the money they need in their own country and don't feel like traveling, your sanctions... You know, don't mean as much to them as the potential for them losing any power where they are. And I mean, even if they, even if the hunter does lose a bunch of money from sanctions, they're just going to take it from the people. It's what North Korea did yeah. and still does. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of wondering, you know, Myanmar is also really close to China. You think Myanmar could become the next North Korea? You know, I don't know. I mean, on the surface of it, it seems that way. I'm not well enough versed geopolitically to see if that could realistically happen. I think there's a the borders are sort of different with how they share with their neighboring countries and whatnot. But you know, certainly it could go a lot of different directions, and a lot of those directions are not good. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, well, we've talked about Myanmar enough for now. What else have you been paying attention to in the news? Well, I think it's hard to ignore the uh, shootings in Boulder. We talked about them, but there are other ones in Virginia Beach and in Philadelphia. Yeah. Those are always not fun. And again, it's time for a debate about gun control, but this time it's without the NRA because they're bankrupt. Yes, and they moved, and they had uh, a number of years of corruption. It's a bizarre way they've they've landed with the NRA. But the argument sort of has not shifted. Tell me if this is the argument you've been hearing. Um, on one side, you have people saying, look, look at these mass shootings. We need gun control. And on the other side, you have people saying, no, what we really need is better flagging and access and mental health care for people. Or you and can leave just our guns have, alone. Or you could just have both. Both? Nobody's saying that. 
<laughs> well, I mean, Democrats are starting with universal background checks, which might get through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really see what the argument against making sure that you're not selling a gun to a violent criminal is. Well, I mean, mean, I still think it's really stupid that there are unlicensed gun dealers. Like, anybody can sell a gun to anybody without a background check or anything. Well, That just seems, like, crazy. See, now, you're looking at it from a broad macro perspective of the government's view. If I look at it on a, on a micro perspective and I say, hey, I've got a couple of guns and my neighbor would like to buy one, so I'm going to sell my gun, you know, to him. Um, why do I need to go through all the government bureaucratic red tape? Why is don't I just have the right to sell my neighbor a gun like I would anything else? Mostly because guns kill people. Well, sure. So do cars. Yeah. And I mean, gun safety also is a big thing. I think... He's a safe guy. He goes hunting. knows what he's doing. Yeah, but I think it's especially gun safety with children... I mean, people keep loaded guns in, like, their drawers and stuff. Well, some people do, but a lot of people are very responsible. They have gun safes. They have uh, safety locks to keep the children from them. They separate ammunition. They, they do all the things to keep it safe. My point is that it comes down to, if your perspective is looking at this from society's viewpoint and saying, okay, let's manage who has guns, and you turn it on its head and say, well, let's look at this from my standpoint. You're saying you're going to tell me whether I can have a gun. And then here's the bigger challenge. If you tell people with mental health issues they can't have guns, if I'm someone with mental health issues, that to me sounds like, hey, you are discriminating against me. Who are you to say that I can't have a gun? I mean, with that, but I think at first starts at with background checks and i mean like guns are not toys so you shouldn't be able to sell them like toys i mean they're highly dangerous and i think universal background checks just make sense i mean it's not taking anybody's gun away just making sure you don't sell your gun to a homicidal maniac. Well, not necessarily, uh, because most people pass background checks. Um, yeah. You, you know, every, but it also means that I have to give the government that much more information about me. Maybe I don't want the government to know that I like to go hunting. You well, already have a driver's license, and you probably post about your hunting on Facebook. Maybe Everyone I don't want knows- the government to know that I'm stockpiling weapons in case the EPA comes to take me over. The EP... Uh, that's a Simpsons movie reference, isn't it? It wasn't exactly, but it's an old conspiracy theory reference. Because the EPA has the power to take over the government in an emergency. Or maybe it's FEMA. FEMA must be. Uh, the EPA is the Environmental Protection Agency. They're, they're, they're the nature yes, lovers. Yes, they're going to send the spotted owls after me. Okay, fine. But the, the point is, I think it it's... We never get beyond the, there should be gun control, there shouldn't. There should be mental health care, there shouldn't. Which, by the way, the people who generally support, hey, no, we need better actions to control those with mental health issues, generally don't support funding more mental health care. But that's a separate issue, I suppose. But what we don't talk a lot about is more complex gun control or gun regulation. People don't like regulations. 
you know, for years since the uh, assault weapons ban expired in 2004, there have been efforts to either reestablish it and have a ban or nothing. What there hasn't been as much of is why not have a higher level of registration? Like, okay, you're going to own an AK-47. We're going to need, you know, more classes for you and a tighter rein on registering that and you can own it, but you've got to really be certified in a different way. Yeah, I think like, especially with gun accidents, I mean, when you buy a gun, it's not like, all right, well, let me teach you how to use this thing so you don't actually shoot yourself in the foot. It's, all right, here's your gun, go play with it now. Well, there are, if you get a concealed carry permit, for example, you're required to take gun safety courses. Yeah, but what if you don't want a concealed carry permit? Then you just have this dangerous weapon that you don't know how to use. Have you seen power tools? Yeah, but uh, power tools can't snipe someone from 300 feet away. No, but they can cause a lot of damage if not used properly. So when we're talking about accidental things versus things that are on purpose. And, the steps and then with, there. you know, gun safety, I think... Assault weapons, I think you need a good... I think you should submit a reason to have them. Like, if your line of work puts you in a position where having an assault weapon... Like, if you need it for your own safety, like, say you're, I don't know, a security guard at a bank or something. Yeah, sure, get your AK-47. <laughs> you're guarding millions of dollars, but, like... Why should average Joe, I live in the suburbs in the middle of somewhere and have no idea what I'm doing with this gun. Like, sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant yep, here, okay. but I just don't see why people need a AK-47. I mean, people always say, I need this gun for self-defense. And it's like, I need this AK-47 for self-defense. Who are you defending yourself against? A pack of Navy SEALs? Well, possibly is might be in their thinking, but let's 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 roll it back a little bit on the defense part, and let's just say, okay, we live in a nice area, and uh, our neighbors are nice, and we probably don't even really need to lock our doors. But there are places in this country where people live in fear every day. There was a time, you know, a decade or two ago, in Detroit, for example, where if you call nine one one, the average response time for a homicide was over 40 minutes because police were so strapped. So if I live in an area where homicides happen, I can't count on the police to come protect me. If I live somewhere and I know there's a gang after me, for example, and there may be lots of them with guns, don't I have the right to buy something that will give me a fighting chance of defending myself? I think that's a good point. And... Gun regulation, it's always a really tricky issue to navigate. And I think it starts with making sure who can get guns and background checks. It starts with that, and then maybe more regulation comes. And yeah, using a weapon for self-defense is totally fine. That's what the Second Amendment is for. But it's making sure that people don't use weapons to go on the offense. So it's not about having the gun, it's about how you use it. Yeah, we got to make sure that people that have the guns, A, know how to use them so they don't shoot themselves in the foot or something. Okay. And B, you aren't going to murder someone with it.
Well, that you'll never. I mean, the U.S. No, until after they've done it. Out of, I think every developed country, the U.S. has the least strict gun requirements. Like, you know, you can just like. You can go to like literally anyone who has a gun and say, "Hey, I'll take that gun off your hands for five hundred, and that's the end of that." Like, how many convicted felons have guns well, from unlicensed stealers? I will say, it's generally, at least in many states, it's illegal for a convicted felon to own a gun. Yeah, but you know, the unlicensed dealer won't know that if there isn't a background check. Yeah, you know, there are. Uh... A lot of things, but I want to bring back to a point. So you've seen lots of coverage of gun control in general following these shootings, right? Like just lots of headlines about it, lots of media coverage. I mentioned gun control, political debate, right? Yeah. Have you seen anything that has taken a deep dive into really understanding what gun control would look like or how it might be implemented or a potential impact? Not really, because I think everyone's skeptical that anything's going to happen. I mean, for the past, I don't know, how long have school shootings been going on? Quite a while. And how much gun control has been passed since then? There have been some things. Yeah, but those are mostly, how do I put this? um, Not enough, you're saying. Useless. So, I guess my my major point is that we have a cycle going on where big violence happens. There are big headlines about, should there be gun control, should there not be gun control? Everybody shouts for a while, nothing changes, and then the cycle starts over with the next big shooting, right? Yeah, and that's not a great cycle to be in. So, like, I think doing something, no matter what it is, as long as it actually will do something about the issue, is better than doing nothing. Because it's like, okay, a terrible tragedy just happened. We could either try to take steps that will at least prevent this from ever happening again, or we could do nothing. Hmm. Well, I'm a politician, so I'll click the nothing button like I always do. Maybe. Maybe. We'll have to uh, figure out how to solve those problems. But, it, it, you know, we were just talking, it strikes me, about what can we really do about the violence in Myanmar. And at the same time, what can we really do about the violence right here in the U.S.? Yeah, and I think gun control's only the tip of the iceberg. The U.S. also has pretty terrible mental health infrastructure. And, you know, it's a lot easier to get to prohibit insane people from getting guns if there aren't insane people around. And I'll tell you, one of those things is social workers are, of course, overworked. But if you look at the amount of education required to be a social worker and what they're paid... It makes it very hard to figure out how anybody who's a social worker is going to make a good living. What kind of, like, education do you have to get? Do you have to get a college degree? Typically, and often a master's. They only get, like, 30000 a year. How are they supposed to make a living? No wonder no one wants to be a social worker. You get a highly dangerous job dealing with a bunch of loonies all day. That's not nice. At the same time, you're uh, living in what what will pretty much be poverty. It's a tough uh, road to hope. But you know what? We'll talk about that more in the future. I don't want to end this podcast all on the awful things in the world. So let's do what the world does, what we all need sometimes. Let's escape a little bit into sports. Baseball. Yay. Excited about baseball? Not really.
Boo. I'm excited about baseball. I know you're excited about baseball. It's your favorite sport. There'll be some fans and things this year, too, which would be nice. Yeah, we'll have actual people going to baseball games. Except if you're an Orioles fan, just stay away from the stadium (laughs) as a whole. Yeah, it's not such a great year for the Pirates, either. I think we can all... When was the last coming. time it was a good year for the Orioles? Um, uh, that year Kyle Ripken retired? I don't know. They had a lot of fans then. Good question. When was the last time they actually won a World Series? You Have know, they ever won a do, World Series? Do I look like an Orioles trivia buff to you? No, but you know a lot about sports ball and how the guy puts the basketball in the baseball field court. Uh, this zone. is how you and your friends talk about sports, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that is a change. You know, when I was a kid, we talked a lot about baseball. I know it's not quite the, uh, hasn't captured the imagination at quite the same level of today's view. Well, now we have more pressing issues to deal with, like the fact that the world's on fire. Or, who's going to win the Overwatch League? Oh yeah, that's also that's good. It. All right, well, hey, listen, like many podcasters, we are using Post by Futuri to create, publish, and optimize this episode. Learn more why some of the top brands use Post at futurimedia.com. That's it for this week. Ben, why don't you take us on out? All right, well, this is me and my team in the news. I'm Ben, he's Tim, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>